0: Hello, good morning, it's good to be with y'all this morning, you can go ahead and take your seats. Uh, My name is Jason, I'm the church planting resident here at Restoration. It's good to be gathered this morning, I'll be bringing God's word to us. (laughs) We'll be in Ruth. Hey Jeff, how you doing? (laughs) Hey Sammy. All right. Go ahead, take your seats. We'll be gathered to hear God's word. Uh, I'll be in Ruth, uh, Chapter 3. We're continuing our uh, Ruth series. Uh, We've been in two chapters so far. It's been amazing to see how God provides for us when we are truly lost. God is there. We can cling onto him. So we continue to see that in Ruth chapter 3. I'll invite you to turn your Bibles to Ruth chapter 3. It's in page 223 in the Pew Bible. Um, It's also on the screen as well. Uh, Grace Young is already up here to read the passage. Um, So please give attention to God's word. Thanks be to God. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for this morning uh, to gather to worship you. I pray for your spirit to be with us, uh, for us to understand your word, um, how you have redeemed us through Jesus. And so let us look in this chapter to see how you promised that. um, And may you encourage us uh, to urge us on to godly living. In Jesus' name, amen. So one of my favorite memories is the day I graduated seminary. Uh, It's one of my happiest, and one of the reasons why was seminary was very hard. There was a lot of reading, a lot of writing to do. Uh, It challenged my work ethic in a lot of ways. Um, But another reason was a lot of uh, family and friends came to celebrate with me. I was blown away. A lot of people came to celebrate this accomplishment. Uh, I was most blown away by a couple college friends who came drove into town with their not yet one year old baby. They came on the day of my graduation, got a hotel room, and then they had to leave the next morning to get to where they had to go. And so I was surprised by the effort that they made to come to my graduation. And I remember as that night was ending, as I was thinking to myself and processing the day, I remember saying to myself, wow, it'd be a shame to think that God does not love me. God is real. His love is real, and I share this memory with you all because this is exactly what has happened to Naomi and Ruth in chapters one and two. So far, we see them experiencing the hesed of God, the steadfast, steadfast love of God. Dan was sharing about that this uh, last week, last Sunday. The seen and unseen hesed of God. God is caring for these two women the whole way, all through these two chapters. And Naomi and Ruth, they recognize that. Naomi sees it in what Ruth does when she is gleaning in the fields of Boaz. And hear what she says in Ruth chapter 2. May he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Through these events that Naomi sees happening before her, she recognizes the loving kindness of God. God is real. His love is real. But the thing is, there is a danger here, right, when we read these two chapters, that we can actually stop there, that God's blessings can just stay God's blessings. God's blessings don't actually actually change our heart. But the good news is, is that God continues to pursue you. He continues to pursue Naomi and Ruth because he will stop at nothing to change your heart. And that's what I want us to see this morning, the hesed of God. Is abundant the steadfast love of God is abundant it never ends he continues to want to bless but he wants to give you more these two women in chapter 3 they believe that they cling on to that their actions are based in God's love and what they will see is how far God's love actually goes they will see that God's love actually extends to the act of redemption redemption That may be a confusing word, a confusing term, but basically what that means is that God's love will extend to even at a deep cost to himself. That when it comes to you, God is willing to pay whatever is needed. And we'll see a picture of that in what Boaz does for Naomi and Ruth in chapter 3. And so we'll look at chapter 3 in two ways. Uh, The first way is the response to God's steadfast love. And the second is the result of God's steadfast love. So let's go ahead and turn uh, to the first way, the response of God's steadfast love. So up to this point, Naomi and Ruth have experienced the steadfast love of God. They've seen God working in their lives. And what ends up happening is that it stirs up within them this faith. It's a response of faith, a faith that leads to risky actions. The fact that God has not left them empowers them to love God, to love each other in profound ways, and to actually trust God when it comes to solving their greatest problems, to take great risks in solving their greatest problems. And we see a problem here in chapter 3. Naomi recognizes a great problem, and she talks to Ruth about it. In verse one, if you look, uh, Naomi says this to Ruth: "My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be that it may be well with you?" So, what Naomi is talking about is the lack of safety and security for Ruth because they live in a patriarchal society. Naomi recognizes that she will not be there forever that Ruth is going to outlive her, right? And Naomi wants to fix this situation. Ruth is going to be a foreign widow in a patriarchal society with no rights or privileges. So Naomi cannot rest rest until Ruth, her future is secured. So what Naomi recognizes that really the only way that he can fix this situation in a patriarchal society was marriage. Ruth had to get remarried. And the thing is, she actually recognizes that God is actually been opening a door for that. In chapter 2, she, they meet this man, Boaz, this godly man, Boaz. And what Ruth, uh, Naomi recognizes as actually going to take some risky faith to pursue this man, Boaz, for Ruth to pursue Boaz in marriage. But because of what she knows about God so far in chapters 1 and 2, what she's experienced from God, she makes the calculated decision to act. And she does. If you notice, in the next two uh, next two verses, she comes up with a bold and risky plan. And she tells it to Ruth. So if you look, she tells Ruth to do several things. To wash herself. To put on perfume. To switch her clothes from mourning and widowhood to clothes that are more attractive. To clothes that signify that she is now available for marriage. To actually go find Boaz in a happy mood in a private place. And to actually grab his attention by waking him up in the middle of the night, to, uh, by, waking up, uh, by uncovering his feet, right? So this is a plan to woo Boaz. This is a plan of flirtation, right? There is flirtation going on here. It's a risky plan. It's bold, audacious, courageous, right? And if you uh, notice, there is one thing that is very risky. There is, a vo- there is a woman going to a man in the middle of the night. It's a very vulnerable position, especially so in a patriarchal society. But what Naomi's hope is that Boaz will not take advantage of her, that he will actually respond well, that he will understand the true intent of Ruth's pursuit of him, that he will show himself to be the man that he shows evidence of in chapter two, that he is also filled with the steadfast love of God. Not only do we see risky faith in Naomi, we also see risky faith in Ruth as well. If you see, uh, Ruth also falls along with the plan. She agrees. She goes and does it, but she actually does something else too. She does one thing that is different than Naomi's plan. She diverges from the plan. If you look in verse 9, she does everything that Naomi says, right? Shows up, goes to Boaz, uncovers his feet, right? Right? But instead of waiting for Boaz to respond to her, Ruth takes the initiative. She tells Boaz what to do. She has risky faith. She tells Boaz this, I am Ruth your servant. Spread your wings over your servant for you are a redeemer. Now this may be confusing language right it was confusing to me I had to look up like what this actually means when you tell a guy spread your wings over your servant for you are a redeemer right so I had to look this up and basically what this is is it's the language of a marriage proposal spread your wings over me this is covenantal language this is language of marriage but what we also see is that Ruth references an Israelite law called the kinsman redeemer she, she calls Boaz a redeemer. And what this law is, it's a way to prevent a widow from being destitute. And the family line and all their possessions from being completely sold or wiped out because there is no male heir. So if there is a man who dies without an heir, uh, it is the responsibility of a brother or a near relative to marry the widow, to bear his son, and for all their possessions to continue along in that family line. So the kinsman redeemer is called, has a responsibility to sacrifice, to pay the cost so that they can be brought back. So what we see is Ruth has risky faith. She does something very bold and courageous. She follows Naomi's plan, but then she ups it. She continues the, the, the riskiness. If you look, she, she's asking Boaz for the highest sacrifice. But also, She is risky in that she breaks so many cultural norms in this passage. She is a woman proposing to a man. She is someone younger proposing to someone older. She is a field worker proposing to the field owner. And she is also a foreigner from an enemy nation, the Moabites. And she proposes to someone as an Israelite. So if you're an Israelite and you're hearing this story, this is going to shock you how could Ruth do this but the thing is this is here to show us and them what happens when God's steadfast love resides within you what happens is that you have risky faith now if you're like me uh, it's hard to take a step of faith that may seem risky you lo- I love being safe, I love being comfortable, right? I like taking actions, decisions that uh, you know have a high sense of probability if it's not 100%, right? I really want that 100% certainty. Um, if you gave me a chance to process a decision or to collect more data, I'm gonna take that option like nine times out of 10, right? I remember a time when I was working in college ministry, and uh, our staff team was gathering together. We were coming up with ideas for our next ministry event. And without even me knowing, what I was doing was I was shooting down every single idea. I was like, no, nah, that's not going to work. That's not going to work. I don't like that idea. Right? And maybe after the fifth and sixth idea, one of my coworkers turns to me with this angry expression on her face and with some passive aggressiveness says, is there anything you want to do, Jason? And it just caught me off guard. I was like, whoa, (laughs) I don't know if I've experienced anger from this person before. And what she saw in me, and it's something I laugh at now, but was a lack of faith, a lack of risky faith. I thought I was being wise, being realistic, but what she saw in me was a lack of risky faith. And the thing is, maybe you relate to that more uh, than Ruth. You relate to that experience more than what you see in this passage. How can I be Ruth? I can't be Ruth, and the thing is, I actually, in some sense, agree with you. You aren't called to be Ruth, but the thing is, you are called to be risky in those situations that you face. You aren't someone who's a foreign widow in a patriarchal society. Ruth, that was her situation, right? But we have our own situations, and God calls us to risky faith in those situations. So risky faith looks different for you and for me than Ruth. So that's the challenge to us. If God truly does have steadfast love for us and is guiding every facet of our lives, does your life reflect that? Ruth's life reflects that, right? She risks her life because the truth of God's love has sunk deep into her heart. It guides her thoughts and her actions and empowers her, right? Risky faith is only a symptom of what is true within her heart. Is that true? of your life is that true of your life what risk have you taken that was a result of being guided by god's love for you maybe in this moment god is calling you to be less controlling less controlling over your job maybe maybe over your future maybe over your kids Right to actually trust god with these things maybe god is calling you to do something that is scary or hard But you know it's also good for you and for others. Could be a lot of things, right, that God could be calling you to do, things that are risky. And I get it, risking is scary. I am scared of rejection, being hurt, scared of failure. It makes sense to build up things in your life that protect you from certain situations, from certain people having certain conversations. It's easy to be comfortable. We wall ourselves off from risk but the thing is when we do that we also wall ourselves from God as well we all do it but God calls us out he calls us out with the gospel the promise of steadfast love the promise of Jesus is love for you he calls you out with that but the thing is you won't experience that unless you actually show yourself unless you actually risk C.S. Lewis, um, in his book, Four Loves, talks about the necessity of risk when it comes to God. He says this, to love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap, Wrap it carefully around with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. To love is to be vulnerable. So what C.S. Lewis is saying here is that if you want to be loved, you have to let your walls down, that you actually have to risk with your whole being, that your heart must be captured You have to let the walls down. Otherwise, here's the danger, as C.S. Lewis says, your heart's gonna change in a different way. If your walls are up, your heart's gonna become hard. It's gonna become selfish instead of soft and loving. And so what we see through the risky faith of Ruth is a soft and loving heart that resides within, within her. The steadfast love of God has touched her. The walls were down for her. It touched her, and it caused her to be risky with her faith. Do you want that for yourself? Do you want that? Now, if you're wondering if you even do want that, God, in his good news and his good ways, with his steadfast love, continues to pursue you. He's always trying to convince you. He's saying that my steadfast love even gets even better. And we see that through the risky faith Of Ruth where it leads her to see how far God will actually go when it comes to his love not just love for her but also love for all types of people so this leads us to our last point that we'll look at which is the results of God's steadfast love so after uh, Ruth has proposed we see an amazing picture of the gospel Uh, through Boaz we see the lengths that God will go We see the result of God's steadfast love, which is redemption. Redemption. And we see redemption in two ways in this chapter. Um, What Boaz says about Ruth. So firstly, what Boaz says about Ruth. And then secondly, what Boaz actually agrees. He is willing to be that kinsman redeemer for Ruth, Naomi, and the whole clan of Elimelech, which is the deceased husband of Naomi. So first, What does Boaz say about Ruth? What Boaz says about Ruth is that he praises and he honors her. And how how he responds that way is because in verse 10 and 11, he is blown away when Ruth asks him to be a kinsman redeemer. He's blown away. And he's blown away because Ruth doesn't even have to do that. Ruth could have pursued any other man instead of Boaz. And so what Boaz sees is this great love that Ruth has for Naomi and the whole clan of Elimelech. She didn't have to do that. She didn't have to follow, in chapter 1, Naomi back to Israel. She didn't have to, in chapter 2, help Naomi find food and to care for her, but she did. And in chapter 3, she didn't have to propose to Boaz to care for the security and safety of the whole Elimelech family line. She didn't have to do that. Boaz is blown away, and he praises her for it. He recognizes what is truly going on in Ruth's heart. But in verse 11, we also see that he honors her. He calls her a worthy woman. And this is a crazy thing. In a patriarchal society, a poor foreign widow has no honor, has no influence, no power. But Boaz sees things differently. He gives honor to this woman. He sees this woman as worthy. So what Boaz does through praising and honoring is he redeems her image. He lifts her up, lifts her up to the, to the position of a worthy man. And that was not natural. That was unusual in a patriarchal society like Israel. But what we also see is Boaz honoring her request to actually redeem. Right? He, fulfill, he promises to fulfill the obligations of a kinsman redeemer so he agrees not to just marry Ruth but he also agrees to pay the cost of all the land all the possessions and that all these things will not be his they will be for the son that Ruth bears in their marriage so that a whole family line is brought back It is brought back from the dead It is kept alive so what Boaz does through this promise of redemption is that two women two widows who had nothing, regain everything. They regain everything and more through the sacrifice that he makes. Boaz gives all of himself. He gives his finances, his, his reputation, his life, his future. He permanently links all these things to the family of Ruth. It's a picture of the gospel, right? The result of, of the steadfast love of God is redemption. It is God making all your problems his problems. That's what redemption is. God making all your problems his problems. That's what we see through Boaz. And I know for a fact this is what we want deep down. We want someone, we want God, to make your problems, our problems, his problems. That's what we want. We yearn for that, right? And I saw an example of that this past week. I was getting a haircut and as I was sitting down about to get a haircut, my hairstylist, uh, one of the first things she says to me was, did you watch the Barbie movie? And coincidentally, I watched this Barbie movie that same week. <laughs> so it co- it, and we were able to talk about it. And there was no one else in this whole place. Uh, and so another hairstylist was just hanging around and she's a woman. Both are women. That's important detail. Um, but it's just us three. And we're talking about the Barbie movie. And and one of the questions that I asked them was, what did you appreciate about the Barbie movie? And what both women said without hesitation was that the movie gave voice to their struggles, voice to their thoughts, voice to their issues as women in this culture. It advocated for them. So in a way, for these two women, the movie made their problems its problem. That's kind of a picture of redemption. Right? We want someone to come along and say, wherever you go, I will go. We want someone to say, whatever is needed, I will take care of. In the gospel story, redemption takes on its greatest meaning, its fullest picture. Because a movie, even though it did that for those two women, it falls short. God's steadfast love will go the whole way. It won't just create awareness, it won't just advocate, it will actually fix, he will actually fix the problem. God is saying to all mankind, I am making all your problems my problem. Boaz does that for Naomi and Ruth, he achieves it, as we will see in chapter 4 next week. But ultimately, God does it in the greatest way for all mankind. As people, our greatest problem is sin. We have sinned against God. We have sinned against others. We are consistently evil in our hearts. We are broken people. Without God, we are enemies. We are in debt. In relation to God's kingdom, we are foreigners. We have no citizenship. We have no rights, no power, no influence, no honor. Yet, in God's mercy, He says He will redeem us through Jesus. He will pay whatever it takes even his own life, to invite you into his kingdom. His desire is to make us citizens with full rights, full honor. And that is the hope of the gospel. God will not rest until all that he wishes to redeem is redeemed. If you're wondering if God wants to know you, if, he, if God wants to make all your problems his problems, I invite you just to look over these past three chapters. God's steadfast love will continue. It will go to the end. God is not content to just give you a blessing here and a blessing there. Right? He could have stopped after chapter 2. He desires to give all of himself, to actually secure Ruth and Naomi's future. Steadfast love of God is truly abundant and never ends, and he invites you into that. So the thing is, we have to take that risk. We have to let the walls down. We have to let God's steadfast love enter into our heart. God is truly good. So as we come to the table this morning, that is what we get to celebrate. That is what we get to be nourished by. We are reminded of our need for Jesus. Jesus paid the debt that we needed to be paid. He met our need. He paid what was necessary for our redemption. And so that is what we can do this morning as we celebrate and be nourished by the Lord's Supper. Let us do that now. Join me in praying. Father, uh, we thank you for this morning. Uh, We thank you for uh, the picture of what risky faith looks like in Ruth. Um, Thank you uh, for her. Um, I pray that we learn from her as we live out our own situations. Um, Pray that we know that you have truly redeemed us in Jesus let us that let us know that is our hope as we look to Jesus in the table in Jesus name amen